This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Episode number 37 today on Play-By-Play Cast, and we dive into a little bit of sports history on the play-by-play front. Bob Joyce is the voice of the Connecticut women's basketball team, and he'll join us today to talk a little bit about what it's like to broadcast 100 consecutive wins, about 96 of those complete blowouts, <laughs> what it's like to be along for the ride and in the front seat and the courtside seat to see not only one of the truly greatest accomplishments and greatest streaks in women's basketball and sports today, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say the greatest streak that I might even say it's better than UCLA's. And I don't want to get into that kind of back and forth tug of war because there are going to be arguments on both sides and they are their own thing. And we're going to discuss that with Bob at, at length coming up a little bit, but I mean, guys, Connecticut has won now 102 consecutive games, and that streak follows another one in which they won, I think, 90, 90? Either 90 or 91 consecutive games before that. It's, I mean, stupidly remarkable. And it'll be uh, interesting here to chat with Bob Joyce about what it's like to broadcast all of that and really to come up with new ways to tell that story and new ways to broadcast a lot of times, what are truly non-competitive games because UConn, compared to the rest of the field, now there are a couple teams out there that will challenge them, and that kind of rotates every year. Baylor uh, and Notre Dame chiefly over the last couple of years. Uh, But for the most part, UConn versus the rest of the field, it's not competitive. So uh, what it's like to, to try to broadcast that, make it entertaining, and continue to tell a story that scores of games aside is truly one of the most remarkable ones in all of sports. Uh, To put it in perspective, 102 consecutive wins for Connecticut. It's going to be 104 going into the uh, American Conference Tournament. They've got Memphis coming up, and then uh, they've got USF to close things out in their final regular season game. And I used to broadcast USF games. I love Jose Fernandez, uh, and he's got a great program. But the first time those two teams met this year, UConn won 102 to 37. The last time Connecticut lost was November 17th, 2015. Lost to Stanford in overtime. The last time Connecticut lost in regulation, March 12th, 2013. Number two, Notre Dame took them down in the Big East Tournament Championship. The last time they lost in regulation in a regular season game, Baylor, when Baylor had Brittany Griner and it was number one in the country on February 18th, 2013. And the last time Connecticut lost to an unranked opponent, and I don't know this for sure, but I might even wager a guess the last time they lost to a non-top 10 opponent, uh, 2012, 
You have to go all the way back to 2012, February 18th, when St. John's and I believe Kim barnes Rico was the head coach there, now at Michigan at that time, uh, 57-56. So even when they lost to an unranked team, it was by a point. That's the dominance and the sheer dominance of what the Connecticut women's basketball team is, has been. Uh, nine consecutive Final Fours, 11 total championships with Gino Oriema, and uh, four consecutive as well. So Bob Joyce is our guest to talk all about that here on Play by Playcast. As always, you can follow the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and listen to your podcasts and then follow us on social media as well. You can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Joel Godet. And then if you want to email me as well, you can do that. Uh, my email is on the Ball State Athletics website, but if you're uh, Sitting by a pad and a pen, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Feel free to hit me up there. Questions, comments, concerns, uh, tell me you like the podcast, tell me you hate the podcast, uh, anything that comes to mind about play-by-play cast, about play-by-play, about life, about whether or not you two were confused about what happened during Quantico, even though you watched the entire season, uh, hit me up and talk about that as well. Before we get to Bob Joyce, though, I have a bizarre story that I want to share with you guys. Because I'm sitting in my hotel room last week. Cardinals are taking on the Central Michigan Chippewas. Fantastic courtyard by Marriott, by the way, if you're ever in Mount Pleasant. Free plug for them. And my phone buzzes. And a friend of mine who works in uh, play-by-play for a women's basketball team, his name is Martin. Uh, We'll we'll disguise his name because (laughs) you'll figure that out here in a second. Uh, He hits me up with a text as as I'm sitting in our hotel room doing some final prep for the Central Michigan game. And the text says, have you ever had an opposing assistant coach come up to you and tell you that they will text you what they're talking about during team huddles throughout the game? Our opponent did that with me last night. They say, we do this with our radio crew and TV talent, so let us know if you want it. And, of course, he says, sure, why not? And it's amazing. He, he sent me pictures of the, the text that he was getting from the coaches on the other team over the course of a game. This is just a random in-game thing here. Want to continue to bring energy defensively? We'll see some traps. Offensively, getting better looks. Third quarter has been our best quarter all season long. Need to own it tonight. Uh like what our defense is doing, but offensive boards are hurting us. Want to be a little bit more steady and not go for the home run play every time. It's unbelievable. Um, the guy who got the text was joking. He, he, he told his boss, he told the SID of the school he works for, and the SID's initial reaction was like, well, why didn't you give them our head coach's number? <laughs> why did you give them your number? But it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It's, it's like wakey leaks. The, the Wake Forest radio guy giving away secrets, but, like, the coach is doing it openly. It's amazing. I've never had in my career. And let us know. Again, hit us up on social media. Let us know if this, like, happens, if this is a regular ordeal. Let us know if people just tell you what's going on in their huddle. Now, I know in television and things of that nature, sideline reporters and such always get near huddles and can hear what's being discussed. But this is coaches actively texting a visiting radio guy what they're talking about in their huddle. It blew my mind. Maybe it shouldn't have, but it blew my mind. I just thought it was unbelievably intriguing. Uh, So take that to the bank for what it's worth. Uh, 
I don't know what to make of it, but I just thought it was cool and I thought it was worth sharing. All right. Anyway, let's get to the podcast. You're not here to hear me ramble about that. Uh, we'll dive in with Bob Joyce and uh, what exactly it's like to sit courtside when a team wins 100, now 102 consecutive basketball games. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's surreal, to be honest with you, Joel. Uh you know, and in fact, you know, the fact that I've seen a 90 and a 900 is uh, is pretty mind-boggling. But when you're around this program, you see how hard they work in practice, the uh, attention to detail, and the fact that, yeah, they get good players, but the way they get coached up and the proofs at the next level, and then some like the Olympics, uh, I guess you can't say you're totally surprised, but to have some win streaks like this, it's just not supposed to happen, but apparently it does here. What's it like when you go into a broadcast? Because, you know, as a broadcaster, you always kind of, people always, you know, people will walk around the building at work and say to me, hey, what do you think about tonight? Hey, you think we had a chance tonight? Hey, what are the odds tonight? Uh, what's it like for you when you go into a game and kind of how you handicap things in your own mind of how you think things are going to go? Well, conference games, you pretty much have an idea what's going to happen. The non-conference games like this year, for instance, like early in the season, Joel, uh, you know, we thought for sure they'd have at least a couple of losses. We figured they'd lose to Baylor. We figured they might probably lose to Notre Dame, uh, maybe even Maryland. But after the Florida State game, and just because there was just so many uncertainties going into the season, you know, the way they escape Florida State, but since then they've just gotten tougher and tougher. Every time the opposition throws a punch, you know, makes things interesting or even takes a lead, they've always found a way to punch back and, and finish those teams off. But to your question, um, it's not easy. I mean, granted, it's radio, so regardless of what the score is, you still have to do your job as a broadcaster to, uh, you know, give the listeners uh, detail of what's going on, who's playing well, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, when the subs come in, if they play well, um, it goes by a little easier. I mean, they don't have as much depth as they do, as they've had in the past. But, um, you know, you just find different ways to do it. Because when they play well, you appreciate the way they play. And, you know, it's not like other, a lot of other schools around the country where you put the subs in and you're like, it's kind of like watching paint dry. But here... When everything goes well, and even the subs play well, um, you just learn to appreciate it and, and just deal with it that way. I was going to say, I was looking at some of the scores, uh, and and I've been the broadcaster on the other end of some of these games that you've done <laughs> that you've done in your career. Um, so I, I, I know the feeling in the opposite direction. Um, but there was a stretch last year, and I mean, I could pull any stretch from last year, but um, it was like six consecutive games: one hundred four forty nine, one hundred six fifty one, ninety thirty seven, ninety four thirty, eighty three forty, ninety six thirty eight. Um, mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you, what do you say? And obviously when the subs come in, the storyline changes a bit, but, um, how do you keep things interesting? How do you keep things fresh? Ah, uh, the keeping it fresh, I guess, is the toughest thing. I mean, you just, I just keep trying to do what you do with the play by play. Um, just describe it. Um, you know, I think the TV people have a lot harder than the radio people do. That's fair. Cause they've got the, you know, they've got, you know, people can see what's going on on TV. They've got a, be more creative what they have to say. We call it, you know, the D-E-F-G-H-N-I material, which is, on, you know, which is normal for you kind of women's basketball. Um, 
No, you just muddle through it the best you can. Um, you know, you know, jot down little facts and figures, share those with the fans during free throws, stuff like that. Um, you know, yeah, I, I try to just keep it simple. That's the way I've always done it. I don't try to get too, uh, too fancy. Just keep it basic and to the point and, uh, Keep the listeners uh, informed on what's going on. That's pretty much it. Does it test your storytelling ability a little bit in terms of can. how you it tell can. them? I'm and... Vince Scully in that department, but then again, <laughs> who is the way he tells stories? But yeah, it can. But you know, you just hope that the pace of play moves along. And I think the fact that they've gone four quarters has certainly helped. Um, the fact there's only one media timeout it certainly helps too per quarter, unless you know you're in the second half, get that first coach's timeout. But but it's not as bad as as uh, it could be. Um, Thankfully, as long as the games keep going, and the fact that they don't foul a ton, Joel, UConn certainly helps in that department. Uh, what do you do in terms of, uh, do you do anything differently in terms of uh, kind of stocking those those shelves of, of material, of stories? What's your prep like from that standpoint of talking to Gino, talking to the players um, that might be different than somebody else, uh, knowing that you might need to dig into those reserves a little bit more? Um, not much different. No, not much different. No, you just go basically what uh, you've heard. I mean, I do, I'm do. i on with Gino every week with a coach's show, so I'll use some nuggets like, say, from last night. We had him on with uh, Randy Edsel, who's back as football coach. Um, in fact, we're at Tulane tomorrow night, for instance. Yeah, some of that stuff may come out. But, yeah, nothing really special, Joel. Um, you know, maybe during the week you peruse all the writers with some of their stories that they have to come up with. I mean, think about the writers, too, Joel, from our standpoint. They're writing about the same thing every night. they just got to find more ways to do it. They've got to be creative. You talk about somebody needs to be creative. <laughs> think about doing that 38, 40 nights a year. What's Particularly it? with the blowouts. That can't be hard. That can't be easy to do. Yeah, no, I, it's got to be. It's going to be a nightmare. Um, what's it like for you being part of it? Because one of the things I think that is interesting from a play-by-play standpoint, um, a, a person that is a a voice of a team versus a network voice or somebody that just parachutes in for games here and there. Um, how much a part of this do you all feel in, in some respects? Because you're there as part of the ride and, and, and you're so invested in it um, more so than, than some other media members might be. Yeah. It's, I mean, look, working with Gino is half the fun of this. Um, it could easily be, you could just say it gets monotonous, but with Gino, uh, being a bit of a wisecracker, um, always never afraid to speak his mind. That's, that's half the battle. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great program to deal with. They're first-class people. They respect anyone and everyone who they play. doesn't matter because um, they take the game very seriously, and they, play, and they try to play the right way. So from that standpoint, it's an honor to be involved with this program. Uh, the kids are fantastic. To deal with you know sure they get tired of answering some of the same questions over and over and over but the way Gino Chris and the other coaches recruit they want good character people as well as good basketball players and that makes it a little easier to deal with you know on a daily basis but it's just a first-class operation and they surround themselves with good people and that you know that certainly helps a lot in the process with with this team but yeah I've enjoyed the ride uh, to work with a Hall of Fame head coach like Gino, I couldn't have uh, couldn't have dreamt of this when I first got into the business doing women's basketball. But you know, dealing with Gino has just been phenomenal, and 
we have a very good working relationship, so I'm very thankful for that. Question is kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit here, but uh, does it ever get old going to the Final Four? Like, how, how do you keep that special? No, never gets old. <laughs> never gets old because it, you, you just appreciate this run for what it is. Um, you know, I said at the parade last year at the victory celebration, you know, teams aren't supposed to go to nine straight Final Fours or win six titles in nine years or even win four in a row. Uh, don't get cocky over this because someday this is all going to go away. It's all going to end someday. And this is just an historic run that you just have to enjoy and appreciate and never take for granted. And that's the one thing about Joel that, that UConn does. They don't take anything for granted. And that's one thing Gino, one of the characteristics I like about Gino, he is not afraid to fail personally. He's afraid to fail the kids. From the standpoint of he, if he's going to go out and they're going to, you know, invest their time to come to UConn to be the best they can be, he wants to make sure in every facet, not only just basketball, even of life, to make sure that they're prepared for the next level to be able to do great things like go to the Olympics, go to the pros, or regardless what they do, just make sure they're prepared for whatever future endeavor takes them to, whether it be basketball. Uh, a doctor or a broadcaster, whatever it is. And they don't take that for granted. And that's why they work as hard as they do, as hard as they do to, to get the results that they do. So you appreciate every year they get to a Final Four. And, heck, if they get to Dallas this year, I mean, that's going to be a heck of a story, getting to a Final Four unscathed with a schedule that they had early in the season. Nobody expected this. What's most exciting for you when you go to the Final Fours? What do you look forward to most every year as a guy that's been to so many of them? So many broadcasters just want to get to that pinnacle. Uh, mm-hmm. What excites you most about being there? Gino's press conferences. <laughs> okay. The best one was in 2014 when we were in Nashville, when UConn and Notre Dame were both undefeated. And the relationship got a little bit um, a little off track between Gino and Muffet. McGraw. I mean, not that it was, you know, you know, their best buddies or drinking wine together or anything like that, but it, it got to the point where Muffet was just basically saying the rivalry, you know, the relationship's kind of gotten off kilter, blah, 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 and all this. And Gino came back, and the half hour that he spent up there was as good as I've ever heard. Like, you know, he was basically saying, try being us for, for a day or two. Mm. You know, all the what other coaches might be saying about UConn, this, UConn, that. And he was just, he just got on a roll. And when he's on a roll, he's really good to listen to, very engaging. He's not afraid to to shy away from any topic. Um, for instance, uh, what was it, last year, uh, Dan Shaughnessy of the Globe, you know, wrote that, uh, you know, what UConn's doing is bad for the game. Well, basically, Gino said, well, if that's the way you feel, then don't watch. And it's not up to UConn to lower their standards. It's up to the other teams across the country to, to raise their standards because, as you know, Joel, a lot of teams get high school All-Americans. You know, UConn doesn't get every great player in the country. It's how you uh, coach them for four years, and you see the results. Well, and the funny thing is if, if UConn is so bad for women's basketball, then why is Dan Shaughnessy writing about women's basketball? Because exactly. he probably wouldn't exactly. be otherwise. Um I want to get to Gino uh, here in a second, but before I do that, uh, do you have are there games that stick in your memory as ones that were really fun for you to broadcast? Um, and I could say of the hundred straight, but I mean I could I mean even go further back than that. I mean over over having worked with UConn and, and the things you've seen and done, what mm-hmm. still sticks in your memory uh, almost two decades into this? 
the 06 Sweet 16 against Georgia, where Barbara Turner hit a three. It was back and forth the whole game. Uh, Georgia basically played with six kids. They played up and down the floor. It was like, I don't know, the game was decided like in the mid-70s, I think. Uh, Barbara Turner hit a three right in front of us with about two seconds left. And one of the Georgia kids then nearly made a three-quarter court shot, hit the front of the rim at the horn, which is the last, I think, really game decided down by the buzzer that uh, UConn's had. There were a couple good ones at LSU. Uh, One year, Renee Montgomery hit a three to give him the lead. LSU had thought they had hit a three to tie the game at the buzzer, but the kid's foot was on the line. They went to the replay. And they called it a two instead of a three. UConn won by one. Uh, pick any Maya Moore extravaganza. Uh, I will say this, and I think you may have done this game, the game that UConn hit uh, 18 threes. Was it against Maya Syracuse? Maya Moore scored 40. Did you do that game? Uh, now you're going to rack my brain. The only ones, yeah. the ones I remember, well, uh, I might have been. It might yeah. have been. The two I remember were, and I think I was at South Florida for this one, is when Maya Moore stole, I think, two or three consecutive inbounds passes and laid them in for uh, like six or eight straight points. Um, that one, and then, of course, the one at the Carrier Dome where uh, Syracuse had the three to win at the buzzer and lost are the two that I right. remember. Um, right. But, I, yeah, right. I, I might, I, I probably did the 40.1 now that I think about it because mm-hmm. um, she was crazy. Yeah, that was the year, and I think that, that was the year after that Syracuse almost won up at the Carrier Dome. Then, yeah, then, yeah, that and was the one. I think the line for the Syracuse players were, the only difference between us and UConn is they're ranked number one. And <laughs> and, and you know what happened at the end of the game when uh, when Gino got tripped or something like that. Yeah, and then Nicole I didn't Michael. actually see it happen when it happened. But um, apparently there was a lot of trash talking going on, and Usually Gino takes his foot off the pedal, and he asks the kids, what do you guys want to do? And Renee basically said, let's just keep going, and they just kept shooting threes, and <laughs> it was a crazy afternoon at the XL Center. But uh, the no- hey, pick, pick a Notre Dame game when Skylar Diggins played with them, with the Irish. I mean, she changed the culture up there, gave them an attitude, and they had good teams. I mean, think where Notre Dame would be if, if UConn wasn't the powerhouse that they are, how many national championships they probably have under their belt now. They'd have at least uh, two, maybe three, if not for UConn. Um, But the games usually that Notre Dame would win, particularly in 2013, the three they won prior to the Final Four, uh, either you could say UConn found different ways to lose or Notre Dame found different ways to win. The games are just crazy. Uh, One came down in the end in stores where UConn had like three cracks to win it. They couldn't get it done. Uh, The game in South Bend was triple overtime. And then the conference, uh, the last Big East final in Hartford, uh, UConn was down 10 at halftime. They didn't hit a three all game, but Brianna Stewart was starting to come alive as a freshman, and they couldn't stop her or Stephanie Dolson in the post. UConn had a chance to win the game at the end. They botched up the inbound play with a turnover. Uh, They had a foul to give. Bria Hartley was fouling Skylar Diggins all the way down the floor. Whistle was never blown, and next thing you know, Natalie Chun was laying it up and in at the buzzer and giving Notre Dame the win. That was prior to then UConn just crushing them in the Final Four with a big late first half, and then they never relinquished the lead again. But uh, those three games stick out, and even the Final Four game in 2012 that went overtime. Uh, just some phenomenal games with them. Uh, the South Carolina games in stores, the last two times, uh, the atmosphere has been phenomenal. You know, the student section has just been off you know, off the charts 
from around here. And um, yeah, so those are some of the games that, that that I recall. But there have been a few more too. This might be a silly question based off all of that, because um, when you look at and this kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, when you look at scores and things of that nature, people would think, hey, do you ever wish you had more competitive games to broadcast? Because we always look at each other as broadcasters and say, hey, hopefully we get a good one. Um, mm-hmm. But do you kind of take pleasure in the other things sometimes? Because that, that Syracuse game was a blowout. But if they're going to go right. and, and Maya Moore is going to drain you know, 40 points and you're going to hit 16 threes, there's different things to get excited about in different ways that make your job still fun. Right, and I'll use an example. Earlier this season, the Huskies, well, I can use two. DePaul in, in stores and then the USF game in Hartford, the first one. I mean, USF was ranked 20th, first meeting of the year in Hartford. UConn played so well in the first half. They're just their execution on both ends of the floor, but particularly on offense, the way they moved the ball, uh, they were able to run out and just execute their offense. They scored 65 points in the first half, and I think they led by like 35 or 40 by halftime. I mean, USF basically was sucker punched right away and they never recovered. But just the way that they played was just so much fun to watch, regardless what the score is. And I think that's probably the biggest thing, Joel, from my standpoint, if the team's playing well, score score doesn't matter. You're just, you're just kind of in awe of what they're able to do. You know, everybody says their offense is so much fun to watch, which it is, and when it's running well, you just you know, your jaw drops and you say, wow, but they're as good defensively at times as they are offensively, particularly watching Gabby Williams play now. As Gino has said, she's more or less like a Lawrence Taylor type. She can affect the game on both ends of the floor, particularly shot blocking with the way she can jump and the way she anticipated, anticipates the passing lanes and gets out and runs the break. It's fun to watch. And when they're, when they're doing that, you know, it doesn't matter what the score is. What was the 100th win like uh, to broadcast, uh, just to be a part of, to see all of that rolled up? Um, atmosphere was, was phenomenal. Um, the student section was in full force. It was a packed house. It was loud. Um, they had a tough out of win. Uh, Katie Lou Samuelson, their top scorer, did not shoot the ball well. Uh, Kia Nurse, the uh, young lady from Ontario, uh, re-sprained her right ankle on the very first uh, possession of the ball game and was hobbling around. Guards took care of the ball. It was a really workmanlike effort. They did an outstanding job, you know, keeping South Carolina off the glass or limiting their chances. I think UConn actually had a, ended up plus two in the rebounding department and were able to do some damage on the glass themselves. Uh, just to see them gut out a win like that was, uh, was just terrific to see. And now the best part is, Joel, you know, and as Gino said this after the game, you know, 100 wins is nice now. We've gotten to that point. You know, these kids basically helped get this streak to the finish line, so to speak. But now all the focus is on what is normally the focus this time of year for UConn, worrying about March and April, getting them ready for postseason play. People always talk, people like to rank and compare. Um, and I said this when, when they, they won the 90 straight the first time through. Because um, people would always say, well, it's not UCLA streak. Uh, and that's that's true. It's not. Uh I, I tend to think it's it's better in a lot of different senses. Um, what do you say to people that say, well, you know, if they if this was a men's team, it would be impossible, or if they had all the different arguments that people have to put it down, um, because I think it really stands on its own two legs for how amazing it's been. Right. It is what it is for that sport. As Gino has said, and, peop- you know, Gino has never compared himself to John Wooden. Other people have. Gino's not John Wooden. 
Gino wants to have his team be the best team that they can be for that sport that they play. That's it. They don't want to be compared to any men's team. Um, one thing he did say after the game on Monday night is, uh, or maybe this was during a coach's show recently, uh, they're at about the time for the NCAA and women's basketball with the amount of tournaments that they've had. I think it's like 30 or th- it's like 35 now that the women's tournaments had with the NCAA. They're about at the same progression at that point as, say, the men's tournament was 30, 35 years in. They had a dominant team. It's a heck of a lot tougher now in the NCAA tournament because when UCLA played, your conference champion was the only team that would go to the tournament. And it was a lot easier to win the NCAA tournament back then as far as UCLA goes. But now you get at large teams that are as good, if not better, than your conference champions. Um, but So it's it's almost impossible to go undefeated on the men's side. We've seen that. I mean, look how much pressure Kentucky had the year they were undefeated until they lost to, what, Wisconsin a couple yep. years ago? Yep. I mean, all the buildup there. Same thing with UNLV until Duke beat them in the 90s. It's it's almost impossible because of the fact that kids leave early, too. That That's certainly a factor, too, unlike the women's game. But Gino, you know, as far as the women's game goes, he just wants to be good on the women's side. He wants to be the best program they can be in women's college basketball. Everything else is like comparing apples to oranges, and that's the great thing about this. He doesn't take it you know, seriously as a lot of people do. Like, for instance, Muff McGraw came in when UConn played Notre Dame and South Bend in December and goes, well, all the pressure's on them. They've got the win streak. They don't even talk about the win streak, except when they get to the point maybe when they were about to break it, Gino basically said, you want us to really give a damn about this? And the kids do. They wanted to take ownership of it, and they did. But it's, it's nothing more than being the best at, at what they do. Nothing more, nothing less. And that's that's been... Uh, that's one of the good trademarks to see about this UConn team. They don't take themselves too seriously with this win streak. They just go out, prepare for every game, and they just try to win every game. And the kids don't want to lose, so they prepare the way that Gino gets them ready for games. And sometimes it's not easy. Like this year, it's been a grind because they don't have a lot of depth. So uh, it is what it is. For their sport, though, they're the dominant team. They're the Yankees. They're the Canadians. They're the Celtics. They're UCLA for their sport. And that's what the, that's what the great part about it is. Describe an interview with Gino uh, from your chair. What's it like? <laughs> well, I'll let you know when they lose one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, he's easygoing. I mean, think about it. He's, you know, like the writers, like myself, he's got to answer the same questions about the same things over and over and over, but he finds different ways to answer them to keep things interesting. Um, and, I, and he's great to deal with. Do you challenge yourself that way? Guy, what's that? Do you challenge yourself that way to try to, when, when you're going to sit oh, down sure. and do a coach's sure show, do. find something that he hasn't talked about? Sure, sure. That's not easy to do. Um, like, for instance, and I'll use uh, earlier this week, we had Randy Edsel on at Gino's place for, uh, and Gino's the type of guy in his show where I could basically just say, Hey, we need to take a break and that, and he could just go and interview whoever he's interviewing and have fun with it. You know, he, of course he's been around the business. He used to do some color, the WNBA. Um, and he's also done some studio stuff. So he gets it. He, he knows how to do it, but he could be engaging. Um, he's got enough, uh, toes in certain things like his wine business he owns a couple of restaurants where we do his shows from so yeah he can he can keep it interesting and he's just a fun guy to be around um 
you know, we talk football, we talk Super Bowls, we talk golf, that sort of thing. In fact, last night the Travelers Championship came up because both he and Randy Edsel have played in the uh, Pro-Ams before many, many years. Uh, he tells stories of how many years he used to play with David Frost at, uh, at the at the uh, Celebrity Pro-Am every year. So, yeah, I mean, he's very engaging. Uh, he's fun to be around. And, you know, when he's just holding court with the guys and he gets on a roll, you just let him go. I want to talk about your career a little bit as well, um, more so than, than just uh, what UConn's been able to accomplish lately. Um, but if you can go back and tell me how it developed that you became uh, the voice of the UConn Huskies uh, on the, on the women's side. Uh, well, let's see. Um, mid eighties, as I morphed into WTIC 1080, I, my first, uh, just before WTIC, I worked with the Hartford Whalers, the radio network. I was the producer, you know, you run the commercials, you get the replays, you set everything up for Hall of Fame broadcaster, Chuck Caton. And that job led me into WTIC. And early 90s, we started the network that the station picked up the rights to the UConn broadcasts. And I was the producer in studio for football and men's basketball. We started women's basketball in 94, 95. And we've been doing it ever since. And I was doing a lot of high school games on cable television around here. And I was always giving uh, our men's play-by-play voice, our sports director, tapes just for them to... uh, to go over with me, and even Chuck Caton, too, when he was with the Whalers. And one of the years, uh, I think the year before I started play-by-play with the women, or at least splitting the season, they started to have me doing sidelines for football when we were starting to you know, move up from 1AA to 1A. And it just in uh, 0102, uh, the backup, they decided to make a change because Joe, Joe D did as many games as he could, men's and women's. So I would split the games that he couldn't do conflicts, but the school wanted a full-time voice eventually, and once the Big East expanded, when they added DePaul and Marquette and Cincinnati and, and got really big, we knew it was going to be tough to for Joe to cover as many games as he used to, and they they offered me the job to do it. The school said, sure, and um, that's basically the way I, way I got in. Now, I will say this, and I'm going to make, and I'm going to probably tick off a lot of people <laughs> who went to college and did this, like yourself. I didn't go to college for training for this. Yeah, This is just something I've always wanted to do as a kid. That's all I did, board games, any, anything and everything. And I'm thankful that I was good enough for somebody to say, hey, you want a chance to do play-by-play for a college basketball team. So I thank my lucky stars every day that I have a chance to do this. And even my son has uh, is doing this for a living. He works at IMG, went through Hofstra. Uh, worked with the Islanders for four years, was able to do some stuff with them. And he's an awfully good hockey announcer, I can tell you that. But, um, you know, I wouldn't – let's just put it this way, Joel. I wouldn't recommend what I do now for any person to try it nowadays because I think it would be near impossible to do it. Well, that's what I was curious about because I had read the story that you you started going to college and then decided that, hey, like, I don't need to – like, I'm not going to go this route. Uh, I'll I'll try something else to go do what I love – um, right. What was that decision process like for you? What made you think that what I'm doing is wrong and this will be the right way to go? And, and how hard was it uh, to kind of to, to claw your way up from the production side of things to, to get those opportunities? Uh, well, let's see. I was a phys ed major at Eastern Connecticut State University. And it just I was just thinking to myself, this is not what I want to do. 
And I had toyed with the thought of applying to Syracuse and that sort of thing, but it never materialized. And I had a broadcast school right in my hometown that one of our radio stations around here ran. And I did that just to get my foot in the door in broadcasting. And it helped a ton, you know, especially from the production side of things. Uh, but my first gig was actually doing high school basketball in my hometown on our cable access station. And I learned a lot from doing that. But the best, I think the best education I got, Joel, was the next step in, ca- in cable television. Uh, there was a uh, crew up in Enfield. It was Continental Cable Vision. They would do a high school game a week, and it didn't matter what the sport was. In the fall, it would be soccer, volleyball, um, field hockey, which I did one field hockey game, and that's the only field hockey game I've ever done. <laughs> uh, some football, basketball and hockey in the winter, baseball, softball in the spring. And that's where I learned an awful lot of what to do, what not to do sort of thing. You know, how to, re- how to respect people, how to react when things don't go well. So that kind of, that helped. And then learning to appreciate what you do as a producer certainly helped too. Things to do, what not to do, how to do them. I pretty much get along with everybody. But, uh, you know, it all kind of morphed together. What did you learn from all that production? Um, and how'd that translate to what you do now? <laughs> well, thank God we don't use razor blades and splicing tape anymore. Oh, <laughs> or eight-track tape machines. No carts. Uh, no carts. Yeah. Oh, and trust me, I've, I've broken a few. <laughs> chucking them across rooms in frustration. Uh, I'm not going to uh, deny that. Uh, you learn to get an ear for listening to certain things. Very picky about production music. For station promos, sports promos, uh, you know, anything I ever do, like end of the year, I'll end up doing uh, end of season review programs for the season. Uh, maybe an, you get a little different ear of an edit here and there. I mean, obviously, digital editing is a piece of cake compared to what we used to have. But yeah, I guess just little things like that. You had mentioned those early tape sessions. Um, what was it like being the the kind of producer? The, the, the producer guy who is still trying to to get his tape in front of the people that he's working with and in front of Joe D and getting the that 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 early feedback and those early critiques yeah I mean I had I had good support um, Chuck was always very open to listening to stuff the one person though that really did was our former sports director Arnold Dean who went to Syracuse in fact he went to school with Jim Brown he was at the same time <laughs> that Jim Brown was at Syracuse and there's a good, and there I'll share a good story with you here in a minute with those two, but he was always very accommodating. I started working at WTIC full time shortly after my dad passed away. I was 22 when my dad passed away, and Arnold kind of became like almost a father figure, an uncle figure in my life. And easygoing, he always put people at ease, whomever he interviewed, including Jim Brown at uh, Madison Square Garden in 1999. Jim could be a little rough around the edges, but once Arnold started mentioning the days, you know, when he watched Jim play at Syracuse and talk about Syracuse, he got Jim really comfortable. And that's something that Arnold always did. But Arnold was always very accommodating to me. And God knows he had enough connections in the business where he would say, you know, stick to your guns, you know, don't don't leave because, you know, we think you're going to do something special here down the road or bigger things down the road, which ended up being the case when I got the gig with the uh, UConn women. So from that standpoint, it was very easy. And Joe always picked apart my stuff. Chuck always picked apart my stuff. And I always learned from it. But 
you know, I was just lucky to work with some really accommodating people that took the time to listen. How much do you still get a chance to listen back to your stuff nowadays? On occasion, I do. Uh, I'll burn a CD, throw it in the car, and listen. What do you listen and for? Take myself apart and make sure I'm doing uh, doing my thing. And in fact, you know, I learned that from Chuck Caton. He would, you know, we'd always air check his games, and he'd be in there always listening to his games, always just trying to make sure as a listener you're getting what you hope the listener's getting description um numbers and where they're supposed to be timely stats that sort of thing just and and making sure you're mixing up you know the way you describe certain things i mean like i said i keep it very i keep it relatively simple um from that standpoint um but yeah just to make sure you're doing your job and making sure um that you're keeping energy up you know, when you need to. I mean, there are games that your energy is not going to be nearly as high. Like, say, for instance, the difference between uh, a game against, let's see, East Carolina as opposed to what we had Monday nights like night and day. But as long as you're doing your job, informing the listener, making sure they know what's going on, and you're doing it accurately, that's the most important thing. I do want to ask you about one game in particular uh, before I let you go here. Um, And if I've got it right, I think it was your very first UConn game, uh, and it's a goofy tie because uh, from the clipping I read, it was November seventeenth, two thousand. UConn played Quinnipiac. Um, yes, and and men's game. And Joe D was in Muncie uh, because football ended the season playing Ball State, who won. By That's the way. right. Yes, and then they <laughs> were going to Hawaii right after that for the for the Maui Invitational. Yes. What were you thinking? Uh, your very first opportunity to do play by play on the UConn network. Uh, excited, um, cautiously optimistic. Um, I try to stay even keeled. Uh, the job goes to, you know, you're doing a game, uh, try to be as professional as you can. Uh, you know, dealing with Jim Calhoun for the first time, that was a little daunting (laughs) as I recall, but, uh, he was okay with it. Um, the broadcast went well and I'm trying to think who the heck did I, probably had to be Randy Levine is probably who I worked with. But yeah, it was it was fun. Um, it, it basically validated all the hard work that I had put in, and hopefully, it was good enough that they would give me another chance, which they did. I don't remember too much from the game itself, Joel, but uh, <laughs> I, the broadcast, I guess, went okay. Feedback was good, and um, as they say, the rest is history. I guess. That's Bob Joyce here on Play by Play Cast, the voice of the Connecticut women's basketball team. I guess I can say longtime voice of the Connecticut women's basketball team now. Uh, and truly one of the nicest guys you're going to find out there. Uh, just an awesome dude. He was great to me when I was in college and when I was broadcasting Syracuse women's basketball. And then when I got my first professional job uh, in college athletics, I was doing South Florida women's basketball and calling games a couple seats down on press row from him. And uh, couldn't have been nicer then. Couldn't be nicer now, and I think that came across. And for people that don't know Bob, I'm glad you got to hear that and glad you got to see that uh, because there are a lot of really genuine people in this business, and I think on all 37 episodes of the podcast, I've said, what a nice guy. Um, But Bob is just a different level, and uh, many thanks to him for taking the time to talk to us because, as he mentioned, you know, Gina Oriema has to answer a lot of the same question. Uh, Bob Joyce has to answer a lot of the same questions, too, when UConn just wins games by large margins every time. So uh, thank you, Bob, for being a guest here on Play by Play Cast. 
really good episodes coming up over the next couple of weeks, and I'm super stoked about them. Uh, if you haven't seen us on Twitter, again, at PXPCast, we've been tweeting things out. Uh, Alex Faust, Lisa Byington, Tom Wormy, who works for the ACC Network and uh, the PGA Tour Radio Network and did the team stream uh, Final Four broadcasts the last couple of years, uh, one for Duke, one for Syracuse. Tom Wormy will be an upcoming guest. Bob Harris will be an upcoming guest, the retiring voice of the Duke Blue Devils. So we'll look back and reflect on his career. Really good stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks as we really dig into March Madness time. Really fun time of the year to be a broadcaster. And hopefully this podcast starts coming at you from some really random places because Ball State's having a really good season. So hopefully I've got a, a nice little run of, uh, of games left in me here. Uh, anyway, that does it for us here on this episode. They're playing the marshmallow, which means we are out. Many thanks for joining us. Remember, download, subscribe, rate if you enjoy the podcast, follow us on social media, and by all means, if an opposing team's coaches offer to send you texts about what they're doing in-game, say yes. It's amazing. See you next week here on Play by Playcast. Play by Playcast.